service. Dear Young Rocker is a production of iHeartRadio and Double Elvis. Dear Young Rocker, it's amazing how much can change in one week, especially when you're thrust from your regular surroundings and your regular people and plunked down somewhere you don't know anyone, where no one around you has any preconceived ideas of who you are. You're away from the people who want you to be a certain way and the pressure that comes with that. It's the chance to be a whole new person if you want. And if you're at the age where you're already becoming a whole new person every school year, well, then you're even more ripe for transformation. That's why I wanted to go to camp so bad, even though my parents were in no way trying to send me there. I remember every fall seeing kids come back to school from camp with new puka shell necklaces and bleached streaks in their hair and stories of first kisses and of meeting cool people from foreign-sounding places like Chicago. I very distinctly remember the long car ride with my dad to the performing arts camp in Pennsylvania the summer before my sophomore year of high school. I nervously practiced the bass part to Iron Man by Black Sabbath over and over on my Silver Squire P-Bass. I needed to be badass. That's how I wanted to be seen. I knew I'd still probably not be able to talk to people, but if I could shred, maybe they'd just talk to me instead. I wouldn't be the same dork who'd stared bug-eyed and silently choked on air with a gaping mouth like a goldfish when the popular long-haired football player had asked me what period our health class had lunch at. Somehow, even that simple question was impossible to answer. I didn't feel attractive enough to exist in his presence. Never mind utter a word. At camp, when the girls in my bunk room started the requisite 14-year-old girl drama, I quickly became physically uncomfortable from the tension around me and again found myself unable to find even one right word to say. Instead of talking, I pulled out my cheap knockoff SG and started strumming a few open chords unplugged. I started whisper singing, and then gradually sang it louder and louder. A few quizzical glances were shot my way, but I just looked down at my strings and kept going. Eventually, the whole cabin joined in. Girls who had looked at each other like they were about to start ripping out hair were now harmonizing. Secrets Don't Make Friends would be sung at every camp gathering after that. I didn't know the lesson yet in that experience, but I felt it. The lesson is that although I would leave camp still thinking that I just do not possess any shred of ability to communicate, I have the ability to manipulate my reality with storytelling and music. Standing on a platform on the stage during the camp's final showcase playing Britney Spears' Toxic with my camp band while even the cool boys danced below was also a pretty transformative moment. Another person who learned a lot about themselves at camp is Amy Hoffman. 
Amy is a guitarist and singer in the Boston-based bummer pop band Future Teens. I think you're going to like their story. My name is Amy Hoffman. I use they, them pronouns. I live in Somerville, Massachusetts now, and uh, I grew up in Joplin, Missouri. Dear young rocker, happy summer. You're pushing 16, young for your grade, a little tall for a point guard, confident and off the wall for someone so shy, anxious, and unsure of themselves. Your way of coping with bullies and insecurity is to double down, and it works. Your teammates want to straighten your hair? You let them chase you around the gym. You're quick enough to keep them from catching your discomfort. Someone laughs at you in the hallway for dressing like a boy? Wear your shorts longer, rebuff your mom's attempts to buy you makeup, and spend all your time with the guys. The harder you dig in, the quicker they get bored, and the sooner you can drop out of the spotlight. So far, most of your life has revolved around sports and academia. You played three varsity sports as a sophomore, and your GPA has never dropped below a 4.0. College is your ticket out of Missouri, away from your deeply conservative former mining town, whose primary claims to fame are being a stop on Route 66 and having been a hiding spot for Bonnie and Clyde, though you're still not sure where else you could ever call home. When you have the house to yourself, you play your guitar the sunburst semi-hollow electric your grandma Sunshine bought you just before she died. You play as loud as you can and daydream about being in a rock band. When you first started playing, you thought emo sucked because there were no guitar solos, but now you lay on the floor blaring Taking Back Sunday when things feel too heavy. You want to write songs like this, run around the stage at your small town skate park and see people like you singing along. You wish you'd seen anyone who looks like you on that stage and you long to change that yourself. But the already defeated parts of you always catch up to your daydreams, and you start ruminating on a day when you were even smaller, singing your favorite Sum 41 songs at passing cars on the highway. You thought no one could hear you shout along to Fat Lip and In Too Deep, until your brother asked you to pipe down. You got self-conscious after that. Later, you'd ask him what job would be cooler, being a musician or a basketball player. He'd tell you it's way cooler to be a musician, but you'd make more money playing basketball. Dad chimes in to remind you you could bank on being a great engineer. So you take a knee on your dreams. You're old enough to know money is important and young enough to believe your parents' idea of success is the only way forward. This year, you get pulled out of class a few times for IQ testing and some extracurricular essay writing. But you aren't sure what they're for until you come home to find your parents holding a letter, grinning from ear to ear. Turns out your teachers recommended you to attend Missouri Scholars Academy this summer, and you've been accepted. The older kids at your school who went last year keep telling you that it'll be the best three weeks of your life. Your dad, however, takes one look at the website and laughs, saying, this is a camp for dweebs. You don't mind being a dweeb, but the opening ceremony happens smack in the middle of varsity basketball camp, and you hope to start this year. How could anything be more important than that? 
MSA will look good on college applications, though. And by now, you know you'll never be good enough for an athletic scholarship. But if you work hard now, you can still be an engineer. You can still make the money you need to support yourself and the people you love. At least MSA will provide some time away from home, where you can play guitar without your parents overhearing. Who knows? Maybe you'll even write some songs. You go to the first few days of basketball camp and do your best to fit in with your teammates, but you just can't relate to them. You don't feel comfortable wearing short shorts and tight racerback shirts. They all have older boyfriends and go to parties where there's parent-sanctioned drinking, but you've never been invited, and you do your best not to wonder why. You want to tell them about last summer, when you had an older boyfriend too, hoping they might see you differently, but they never ask. It makes you feel small, and you only feel smaller when your family arrives to take you to the nerd camp. You take yourself very seriously, and it shows. When I think of you, I ache for you to know that the fate of your small world doesn't rest on your shoulders. I wish you didn't have to learn the hard way, that the universe doesn't owe you anything, and hard work is only part of the equation. But the next three weeks of your life will plant those seeds. When you get to the University of Missouri, you're anxious. Your parents keep making jokes about how you can spot the real nerds from two blocks away because their arms don't move when they walk. It's not a kind observation, but it helps you feel less alone. Everyone is as nervous as you are, for once, and you start to soften. Mark Twain Hall is intimidating. Sure, you've shared rooms at summer camps, but that was never more than a week, and you are with people you see every day. This is nearly a month with someone you've only spoken to on Facebook, and you cross your fingers that she's as nice as she was online as you pick up your keys, step into the elevator, and press the button for the seventh floor. While you focus on the ground and keeping your feet moving, your folks find a door marked with your name and hometown, and your brain fully shuts off as you introduce yourself to your roommate and take a look around. The white paint on the cement brick walls is peeling and fading from years of hanging posters and photos. A fan spins stale air through the narrow dorm room, but the desk separating the two twin beds is tall enough to make you feel like you're alone when you lay down. And sharing a bathroom with the two girls next door reminds you of your childhood home. Your roommate seems even cooler than you expected. And as soon as the two of you meet your neighbors, you know this will be much, much different from spending time with your teammates. In the first few days, you get comfortable enough to get out your guitar. Your dad's 70s ovation, a warm, dorm-friendly acoustic. And you're surprised when it earns you some friends. You're self-conscious, of course, never wanting to be that guy in the room who centers themselves by getting out an instrument. But you learn that you feel at ease behind a guitar, better able to speak to others. Without it, your hands are constantly shuffling around, darting in and out of pockets, and you stutter when answering questions about yourself. With its body in front of yours, though, you can do anything. You take note of being told for the first time that you're good at something other than sports or school, and your heart takes flight. One of your classes is based on Joseph Campbell's Journey of the Hero, and you spend the first few days getting to know the basic tenets of heroic story arcs. Your teacher, Adam, wears baggy cargo shorts, a ratty green baseball jersey, 
a red trucker hat, and hiking boots. His tall, lean frame and goofy, easygoing demeanor remind you of your older brother, and you look up to him immediately. There's a string of activities and passages from books you've never heard of, and though they seem unrelated, you're riveted. The morning culminates in a conversation about how we perceive our own hero journeys. And for the first time, someone questions you about the responsibility you feel to go to college and live a life in step with your parents' narrative. When you break for lunch, you nervously sit with new friends, but you can't concentrate. Things are different all of a sudden. During a rare free moment in your dorm room, a loved one calls your chunky blue Motorola flip phone, a hand-me-down from your father. The first question is, so are you learning anything cool about colleges you might want to go to? You answer earnestly, expecting them to mirror your excitement. Actually, this is the first time anyone has ever told me I might not need to go to college. I've always wanted to be a professional musician. What if I could really do that? It's disappointing when they respond with exasperation. Devastating when they ask, Amy, when are you going to give up? And you drop your phone on the tile floor when they say, You'll never do anything with that silly guitar. Don't you want to study business? Make something of yourself? Your phone breaks, and you don't speak to them until the day you go home. It's not intentional, but it's best that way. You're busy learning, channeling your hurt into indignance, dedicating your afternoons to the basement music room with your first truly huge crush. He plays you Don't Think Twice, It's Alright by Bob Dylan and Green Eyes by Coldplay on an out-of-tune piano. And you teach him about Say Anything in the Rocket Summer. His RA prints off the chords to Soul Meets Body for the two of you to play together. You trade iPods, and just after Lights Out, he calls your room to suggest you listen to You and I Both by Jason Mraz. He helps you forget your hurts from back home, and the girls in your hall crave every detail. You never thought you'd have friendships like these, much less a crush who likes you back, and you never, ever want to leave. Going into the last week of the academy, you find out there's going to be a talent show. Your friends and teachers encourage you to audition, but you're anxious, petrified even, though you'd never dare show anyone that part of yourself. It's something you want, though, so you circle the auditions on your daily schedule, hoping to psych yourself up. The night before, there's an evening seminar by someone named Father Jeff about vocation. You have a vague idea of what vocation means, but you can't imagine a whole hour of conversation about it. Adam recommends it, though, and you trust him, so you go. Father Jeff is, as his name suggests, a Catholic priest, but you wouldn't know from looking at him. He's dressed nearly as casually as the rest of us, in blue jeans and a dark-collared shirt with the top button undone. His language, on the other hand, is flowery and ornate, something you're used to as a kid raised in an evangelical Christian environment. Eventually, Father Jeff asks you to shut your eyes and imagine the thing you love doing most, the thing you can't imagine your life without, the thing that keeps you awake at night and makes you want to get up in the morning. For some of your peers, that was a tough ask. But for you, it was clear as ever that the thing you can't live without is making music. When you open your eyes, Father Jeff has drawn an X on the chalkboard and labeled each line and their intersection. Your vocation, he says, is where the deepest longings of your heart meet the greatest needs of our world. There's a seismic shift in you, and when you step outside into the damp Missouri breeze, you're not afraid of choosing your own path anymore. You owe it to yourself, 
And for the first time, you believe in yourself too. You feel your load lighten even more when you get back to your friends, clutching your notes from the evening to make sure it can't fall out of your pocket. The evening snack, watermelon tonight, your favorite, tastes better than you remember. You're going to the auditions tomorrow. The auditions are a formality, of course. You step into the long, tall lecture hall that you choose a seat in at least once daily for all Academy activities. You play a verse and a chorus, let the organizing instructors know you haven't chosen a song, but you promise it won't have any expletives, and you leave. It wasn't nearly as scary as you thought, but as familiar as Geology Auditorium is from the nosebleeds, it feels like somewhere entirely new when you stare up at all the empty chairs. The knowledge that the next time you're in that auditorium will be to play a song in front of nearly 400 people hangs in your stomach, lives rent-free in your head. The RAs can tell you're nervous, and you don't know it, but the ones you're closest to are conspiring to make sure you feel supported. They hold an open mic in the music room to help folks practice and get more comfortable, and your crush helps you settle on a song for the talent show. Coffee Shop Soundtrack by All Time Low, foreshadowing your emo future. Every morning, your roommate chooses a different song to wake you up. For your big day, she puts on Toxic by Britney Spears. It's a little aggressive for 7.30 a.m., but it makes you laugh, and you need a few laughs today. You've never done anything like this before. Despite playing for a number of your friends over the last couple of weeks, the aging white walls of the common room are a lot less intimidating than the steep hill of seats in Geology Auditorium. You look through your dresser for something to make you look and feel cool, and settle on your fifth grade Little League jersey, the one with your old lucky number and last name on the back. Somehow it still fits, and you know what? It still will in your adulthood. You also choose long, colorful plaid shorts, and listen, I'm so glad they make you feel cool, Aim. You always choose what makes you feel good and cool, and I am so proud of you for that. But I'm also going to be incredibly proud the day you ditch those shorts and move on to the next thing that makes you feel good and cool. All day, you're anxious and sweating, but you think you're holding it together. Sweet, shy bean, you are not. Everyone knows you're nervous, and I know it doesn't feel like it, but it's okay to let them in. You can ask for help, pal. I wish you would, but maybe that's another thing you'll have to learn the hard way. As instructed, you show up early. Timeliness is welded to your anxiety and Midwestern sensibilities, and it helps you feel a little more at home in the room. As people start arriving, though, you feel the effects of forgetting to eat a decent dinner. The talent show is a required event. All 330 kids and 50 staff members will be there, and you barely know how to properly enunciate into a microphone. You find your seat in the back with your crush, And when your goosebump-riddled elbows slowly, shyly, finally touch on the armrest, he absorbs the sharp edges of your fear. You still want to disappear, though, and you finally get the chance when the lights dim to accommodate the first performer of the night. It's a dance performance to Dragon Stud Din Tay. Remember the Numa Numa song? And you've never seen someone have so much fun or be so brave. 
What's it like to be so unafraid? How can anyone be so gutsy, so at home in themselves and the things they enjoy? You're flattened, in a good way. While waiting in the wings for your turn, you and the other performers near you place nervous hands on each other's shoulders, reassuring one another the way you wish you could reassure yourself. Someone whispers your name from the front row, and you're shocked to see some of the cool kids giving you thumbs ups. How do they know me, you think, and you hug your guitar closer to your body. I know this sounds crazy to you now, but some of those cool kids will become lifelong close friends to you. You're all just good, kind people, Aim. And that's the coolest thing there is. When your turn comes along, you barely hear them call your name. It feels like you're swimming through pudding. Everything goes fuzzy except the precise path you have to walk to the center of the stage. It's only a foot or so off the ground, but with the only lights in the room on you, it feels like the center of an arena. You mumble, Hi, I'm Amy, and this is a, a song called Coffee Shop Soundtrack, into the microphone. You bobble your guitar and knock it into the mic stand, and you're certain the whole room can hear your heart beating dead center in your throat. But you manage to start. The intro is palm muted, the first few notes a little low for you, and your whole body is shaking so much you can barely get the words out. But then the song opens up, and so do you. You still can't look up from your hands. That confidence comes later, I promise. But when you get to the first full, bright, wide open chord, you also get to belt a chorus and you're able to forget about the pressure. Aim, I'm gonna tell it to you straight. You mess up, it's nowhere near perfect. But when your last chord finishes ringing out, that packed auditorium erupts for you. Nearly 400 people let you know you played well, and at least some of them had a good time listening to you. Your nervous aches turn to excited chills, and when you set down your guitar, you know you don't need it to talk to people anymore. At least not tonight. When the show wraps up, you lay in the grass with your friends and talk to kids you haven't met all month about your favorite songs and your hopes for the future. You go for a walk with your crush, and he stops to kiss you for the first and only time in the same place you square danced. Yes, square danced, two weeks prior. As the night winds down, your teacher Adam pulls you aside and hugs you like you're going to be somebody. No adult has ever believed in you like this before, and you don't know how to hold it, but you try your best to press and preserve the memory like a perfect dogwood flower. When you get back to school in the fall, things go back to normal for the most part. One of your teammates asks, who are you and what did you do with Amy Hoffman? You shrug and laugh, because it's easier than explaining that you'd finally had the pleasure of meeting yourself. School still comes first, but you try to find a compromise between what you want and what's expected of you. You research music schools and daydream of the day you get to be on a stage again, but you're not sure how to make it happen. The boy you met this summer will be the first person to really break your heart, and you're afraid you'll never get over it. You stay hopeful and determined, but heavy. There is so much good news coming, dude. One day, 
You'll do exactly what you've always dreamed of doing. You'll be playing music you love and believe in with people you love and believe in even more. You'll be touring the country, and people you've never met will be singing your songs. You'll meet folks on a different coast wearing hats you hand-embroidered three years prior. Someone will come out to you at the merch table, and a year later, when things get so hard you never want to wake up again, you'll write their name at the top of your list of reasons to live. You'll be more and more yourself with every passing season. You'll become aware of the immense privilege you've had your entire life. And as you work to unlearn the harmful rhetoric that shaped your entitled teenage outlook, you'll get to know both who you are and who you yearn to become. You'll learn words for that hollow feeling that freezes you in place, and the weeks you buzz around your life struggling to sleep or focus. That's something you're better off learning when it happens, so no spoilers. What I can tell you, though, is that getting to those words is going to be incredibly painful, but you're going to survive it, and you're going to learn how to manage it better than you ever thought possible. You'll still be figuring out how to channel it into something creative, and that's okay. You're going to be learning that forever. You'll still be figuring out how to live in your own body, how to find clothes that feel like home, but over time, you'll see yourself in the mirror the way you've always imagined yourself. That confusing pang you feel when someone calls you a girl, and the thrill you get when someone mistakes you for a boy? Yeah, you'll still have that. But when you're ready, you'll name it in a way that makes you feel strong. And it'll be different. Promise. Oh, and as for that nerd camp crush? Sweetest bean, you'll absolutely get over him. In fact, you'll run into him on a street corner in a decade and feel nothing but gratitude. By then, you will have hurt much worse, loved much harder, and learned that guys are not the only kind of person you can fall for, or write songs about. You'll still be counted out and passed over in your corner of music because you aren't a man, but you'll prove them wrong time and again. You'll still double down, Aim, and it'll still work. Adam was right. You're gonna be somebody, and that somebody rocks. You're going to make it past 25. You're going to be proud of who you are and how far you've come. And one day, you're going to love yourself the way I do. Hearing someone else's story is such a huge thing for me. Of course, I enjoy and empathize with the story itself, but I also empathize with how much emotional energy it takes to write one of these. As far as I know, it's the hardest kind of writing anyone can do, and I can't thank my guest writers enough. I had to ask Amy what the experience was like for them because I was curious to compare, despite this terrible internet connection we had. Sorry about that. Oh boy, it was pretty emotional, uh, which I wasn't expecting. It's like a, a time in my life that I haven't reflected on in a really long time. And to hold that juxtaposition with where I'm at as an adult was really special. I also asked Amy if they felt they gained something from doing this. Yeah, big time. Especially living in this limbo right now where there have been times throughout the pandemic where I felt like 
okay, Am, your dreams are dead. <laughs> Touring will never come back. Um, but writing this uh, helped me recognize that that's not true, far from it, and that um, if anything, I've met and exceeded a lot of dreams that I had as a kid, and that's something to be really thrilled about. Yes. Seeing how far you've come is one of the most important things we can get out of doing this, out of writing memoir. We all still have scared little teenage selves living deep down inside us somewhere, and it's good to imagine how amazed they would be to hear all the things we've done. So we should tell them once in a while. Please check out Amy's band, Future Teens. They have a new EP out called Deliberately Alive on Take This to Heart Records. It's available on Bandcamp, which I recommend if you like supporting artists directly. If you're a person who has ever dealt with heavy feelings, including heavy crushes, the future teens might be just what you need. Amy also wanted to give a shout out to the Boston-based organization Art of Survival, which helps survivors of all kinds share their stories through art and music and promotes safer spaces. You can check out their work at artissurvival.com. All one word, artissurvival.com. And isn't that the truth? Take care, rockers. Next time on Dear Young Rocker, Michelle's honor of the band Japanese Breakfast sits down with me to talk about her new book, Crying in H Mart. Michelle shares some of her writing, and then we discuss the process of writing memoir and how important early music role models are, like Karen O of the Yeah Yeah Yeahs. And she even writes her own Dear Young Rocker letter to her younger self. Dear Young Rocker comes to you from Double Elvis and iHeartRadio. It's executive produced by Jake Brennan of Disgraceland. It was created and is produced, written, and hosted by me, Chelsea Arson. I also created the theme song. Colin Fleming helps with sound design and mixing, and Auto Clamor provides editing and production assistance. If you enjoy this podcast, please, please let me know by sending in a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also hang out with me virtually by following at Dear Young Rocker on Instagram. Please do not hesitate to send me a message there, and also follow Double Elvis for news about all of our new cool music podcasts. And if you'd like some snazzy DYR buttons or a t-shirt, go to doubleelvis.com shop. As always, the best thing you could ever do for this show is to share it with someone who you think would like it, or just everyone you've ever met. Thanks, rockers. Dear Young Rocker is a production of iHeartRadio and Double Elvis Productions. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.